0: Turn to 2nd Timothy chapter 2 and also Romans chapter 11. 2nd Timothy 2 first and um, <clears throat> I told you tonight we're going to look at replacement theology or it's also called really the same thing as covenant theology and I'll tell you what that is in a minute. Let's read 2 Timothy chapter 2 and start at verse 15. It says, Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. But shun profane and vain babblings, for they will increase unto more ungodliness. And their word will eat as doth a canker, of whom is Hamanias and Philetus. "...who concerning the truth have erred, saying that the resurrection is is past already, and overthrow the faith of some." The Bible tells us here that we need to rightly divide the word of truth. There's a common saying, "...when plain sense makes common sense, seek no other sense." In other words, "...when what is written makes common sense." don't try and force some other interpretation upon it. That is a, what we call good Bible hermeneutics or good Bible interpretations. In other words, you use a literal method of interpretation. Uh, <clears throat> covenant theology, on the other hand, uses what is called allegorical method of interpretation for the Bible. That is, they spiritualize Prophetic portions of scripture. Uh, For example, I listened, I told you about this a couple weeks ago, to a guy by the name of Dan Horn. He's uh, an elder or pastor or something at the Reformation Baptist Church. It's up along 96. It's a home church. And anyway, he was preaching from Exodus chapter 20. Now, do you know what's in Exodus chapter 20? The Ten Commandments. And, you know, a few other things at the end of the chapter. But it all has to do with Israel. And so he's preaching from Exodus 20 in the last starting, I think, in verse 22 through the end of chapter 22. And he goes all the way through. And I listened to the whole thing. It's very confusing if you ask me. But anyway, and he's preaching into chapters 21, chapter 22. But anyway, and he says this. And and, and he reads, go to Romans 11. He he reads, he he. He reads this uh, in preface to what he reads in Exodus 20. He reads Romans 9, 6, which says, Not as though the word of God hath taken none effect, for they are not all Israel which are of Israel. And then he says this, that, quote, this is a quote, I wrote it down. When we see Israel entering into this covenant, we should not think that it is about them. Because they are not the true Israel. The true Israel is the church of Jesus Christ. Now he's saying that about Exodus chapter 20. And and he admits the context of it is the covenant with Israel, God made with Israel. But the church is his now true Israel. And, and and he he asked questions so how do how do we as a church put into practice the things that are written therein you know for example in these in the passages of uh, Exodus chapters 20 21 and 22 you have an ox goring a man or an ox goring another ox you know so how do you how do you apply that he said well there's a greater application there to the church so you know, so when your ox gores somebody else, you know you need to figure out what the application is in the church. No, it had to do with the laws concerning the nation of Israel uh, uh, he he uh and then of course he's all they're also calvinists and and they one of the statements he made and I talked about this the other week when we were talking about Calvinism, he said this quote because all authority has been given." To the Lord Jesus Christ, whatever happens, is God doing it? Unquote. So all these wicked acts that people are doing are it's God doing it. Yeah. Um, but anyway, this is this is some of the things of covenant theology, and their favorite one of their favorite chapters is Romans chapter eleven. So go there, Romans chapter eleven. But we need to rightly divide the word of Scripture, and and you know we believe that. We're to interpret scripture literally, uh, unless it plainly tells us otherwise. Uh, in his book, Way of Encycl- Life Encyclopedia of the Bible and, and, and uh, Christianity, David Cloud said this concerning allegorical method. He says, quote, It's a spiritualizing method of in interpreting the prophetic portions of the scripture. In this methodology, the Old Testament prophecies of the glorious earthly kingdom for the nation of Israel are considered allegorical pictures of the existing church age. In other words, Zion, quote-unquote, is taken to mean the church instead of the city of Jerusalem. The desert blossoming as a rose in Isaiah 35 is taken as a picture of the present fruitfulness of the gospel instead of a literal future condition on earth. The temple in Ezekiel 40 to 48 is taken as a symbolic representation of the church rather than a literal future temple. By this manner of interpretation, the events recorded in Revelation, the judgments upon the earth, the wars, the two witnesses, the sealing of the 144,000 Israelites, the binding of Satan, and the 1,000-year earthly rule are viewed symbolically rather than literal future events, And again, that's that's what these people do. And this isn't something new. This is this is quite old. It goes back to the third, second, third century. There were some that were teaching this. Augustine, or Augustine, some people call him Augustine. Um, I don't know if it's you know different from States but that's the north and south thing, you know, like pecan and pecan, pecan. But anyway, I always heard it was Augustine, and I came down here, and I hear Pastor Webb and some others down here saying Augustine. But anyhow, nevertheless, that guy, Bishop of Hippo, who was really the first Catholic and planted all the seeds for the Catholic Church and the worship of Mary and all that kind of stuff, he taught this replacement theology. The Catholic Church teaches it. Protestantism teaches it. Mormons teach it. Almost every cult teaches it. And that is that the church is the new Israel. But look at, and and they they like to use Romans chapter 11. I'm not going to read portions of this, a lengthy portion of this. In verse 1 it says, I say then, hath God cast away his people? Now, if you're going to hold to the fact that the church has replaced Israel, what would you have to say to that statement? You'd have to say yes, right? But what does Paul say? God forbid. God forbid. So so again, they ignore or change meaning of some plain truth. God forbid. For I am also, I also am an Israelite of the seed of Abraham, of the tribe of Benjamin. God hath not cast away his people which he foreknew. What ye you not know, what the scripture say of Elias, how he maketh intercession to God against Israel, saying, Lord, they have killed thy prophets, dig down thine altars, and I am left alone, and they seek my life. What saith the answer of God unto him? I have reserved myself 7,000 men who have not bowed to the knee of ba- image of Baal. Even so, then at this present time also there is a remnant according to the election of grace. So he says there's a remnant. And, and then this chapter talks about the blinding of Israel until the Gentiles... The fulfillment of the Gentiles, uh, um, if you drop down to verse 11 and 12, I don't read all this for the sake of time, but I want to give you the, some thoughts here. Verse 11 I say then, have they stumbled that they should fall? Again, God forbid. But rather, through their fall, salvation is coming to the Gentiles to provoke them to jealousy. Now, if the fall of them be the riches of the world, and the diminishing of them the riches of the Gentiles, how much more their fullness? Now, If I understand English correctly and the wording that's used here, that tells me that God's not done with them. He talks about, notice he ends it, how much more their fullness. In other words, the fullness of Israel hasn't really yet been on display. And we're going to see why he's going to say it, why he says that. Uh, Drop down to verse 22. Behold, therefore, the goodness and severity of God on them which fell, severity, but toward thee, that is the churches, so it was toward them, severity, they were judged, Israel was judged, but toward thee, goodness. If thou continue in his goodness, otherwise thou shalt be cut off. And they also, if they abide not, still in unbelief, shall be grafted in. For God is able to graft them in again. For if thou wert cut out of the olive tree, which is wild by nature, Gentile. He's, he's talking about. He's comparing Israel and the and the Gentiles to olive trees here, and and the is uh, the Gentiles are a wild olive tree that was grafted in. Uh, grafted in conjured, into a good olive tree, which is contrary to nature. How much more shall these, which be the natural branches, be grafted into their own olive tree? For I would not, brethren, that ye should be ignorant of this mystery, lest ye should be wise in your own conceits. Blindness in part has happened unto Israel until. Until, what that means, until a certain time. And that's, he's going that time. Until the time, fullness of the Gentiles be come in. And so all Israel shall be saved, as it is written, shall come out of Zion and deliver, shall turn away ungodliness from Jacob. For this is my covenant unto them, when I shall take away their sins. So there's going to come a time. You know, Israel now is in sin. And those who teach replacement theology, and one of the great proponents of that today is a guy by the name of Steve Anderson. And he hates Jews. I mean, he don't make any bones about it. He said they're just a wicked, homophobic bunch of people. Or not homophobic, they're w- wicked, immoral bunch of people. And, and that God hates them, and God's done with them. Therefore, they won't be saved. You know, really, Romans chapter 11 is warning Gentiles, look, don't get too boastful about yourself. What were you like when I saved you? And and he says that he is going to one day take away their sins. Notice the next verse. As concerning the gospel, they are the enemies for your sakes. So one of the greatest enemies Paul had in his ministry of the gospel was the Jews. Says concerning the gospel, the answer is but as touching the election, they are beloved for the fathers' sakes. And notice the word father there, fathers. It's not capitalized. It's not talking about God the Father. It's talking about the fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. They were So the Jews are beloved for the fathers' sake. And the next verse says, for the gifts and calling of God are without repentance. God is not going to change his mind about the Jews. He chose them. He elected them as a nation of people and they will, once again, be restored to him. He hasn't changed his mind about it. And so, as we think about this replacement theology, I want to I first talk a little bit about to Steve Anderson. And, and, and there are others. Uh, he's one of the more prominent ones, but there's others that have written some stuff. But uh, and I, I did a little reading about this fella. I don't know that much about him. But anyway, this come out of Friday Church News Notes, May 17, 2019, wayoflife.org. It's David Cloud's website, which has a lot of information concerning this kind of thing there. And it's, and it's titled, Steve Anderson Banned from Yet Another Country. And it goes, quote, Steve Anderson has been banned from yet another country. This time it is Ireland. Ireland Anderson was scheduled to preach in Dublin on May 26, but the Minister of Justice signed an exclusion order against him. This is the first time somebody has banned under a 1999 immigration law that allows exclusion in the interest of national security and public policy. The decision followed a gay activist petition that received over 14,000 signatures. Anderson is targeted for his statements that homosexuals should be killed. After the mass shooting at the gay-friendly nightclub in Orlando, Florida in 2016, Anderson said, quote, The good news is that there's 50 less pedophiles in the world because these homosexuals are just a bunch of disgusting perverts and pedophiles, unquote. And that was printed in the Sunday Express, September 16, 2016. Anderson said it was too bad some of the homosexuals survived. Of the transgender celebrity Bruce Caitlyn Jenner, Anderson said in a sermon, quote, Listen to me. I hate him with a perfect hatred. I have no love for this Bruce freak. This person is just the evangelist of sodomy and filth of the world, and people are like, quote, Oh, we need to pray for him so that he finds Jesus, unquote. I'm going to pray that he dies and goes to hell, unquote. Uh, Anderson also has preached, Why I Hate Barack Obama, and said that he prayed for the death of the former president. Anderson calls himself an independent Baptist, but he's a deeply confused individual who should not be in the ministry. When James and John wanted to call fire down upon those who rejected the Lord, Christ rebuked them and said they were of the wrong spirit. Luke 9. Anderson denies the Holocaust. He denies the Holocaust. Holds to replacement theology, believes that God is finished with Israel, rejects biblical repentance, believes that salvation doesn't have evidence, and denies the imminency of the rapture. Anderson has also been banned from, from or denied entry to the Netherlands, Jamaica, Canada, South Africa, Botswana, Malawi, and the United Kingdom. And for more on this, you can see what about Steve Anderson. He's got a free ebook concerning him, which I'm sure would have some interesting things concerning this guy. Uh, you know, and it reminds me of what Paul said and what he wrote in Second Timothy chapter two there about that that you know when, when people get off in these strange doctrines, their word eats at the canker and their ungodliness will increase more and more. You know, evidently Paul didn't pray for homosexuals to be killed; he prayed for them to be saved, some of them were at Corinth. And he didn't hate Jews or think that you know, uh, and, and obviously that's. But, you know, that is typical of, of those who teach this doctrine of replacement theology. So, what exactly uh, is this replacement theology? Let's put it into words. Well, uh, covenant or replacement theology, again, as I said, teaches that the promises made to Israel or the covenants made with Abraham uh, Isaac and Jacob and the children of Israel are now all uh, come into what's called the New Covenant, which is another covenant made with Israel, if you rightly interpret it. For example, let, let's look at some of these covenants. Let's go to Genesis chapter 12. Genesis chapter 12. And we have what we call the Abrahamic Covenant. And again, you know, all these are specifically Jewish. And the Bible makes that very plain. And again, you have to change words or meanings of words to make it fit the church. It just doesn't fit unless you, again, take it all as pictures and allegories. Uh, Genesis 12, Now the Lord has said unto Abram, Get thee out of thy country, and from thy kindred, and from thy father's house, unto the land that I will show thee. And I will make of thee a great nation, and I will bless thee, and make thy name great, and thou shalt be a blessing." And I will bless them that bless thee, and curse him that curseth thee. And thee shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Now, we can see several things here right off the bat. God, God says, you know, he's the lead. But he said, I'm going I'm to make you a great nation. I'm going to bless thee. So he was going to prosper him, which we know he did. And, you know, Israel has always been a prosperous people. I mean, from, from the time of Abraham, they've been a prosperous people, a money-making people. Known for their wealth. Do you know who underwrote the war for independence here in the States? I can't remember his name. You remember his name? Solomon, I think was his last name. He was a Jew and died a poor man because he was never, in his lifetime, he was never repaid. They borrowed money from him to fund the war. Uh, but he was a Jewish man. But anyway, he said, I'll bless thee. I will make thy name great. You know, is there a greater name? You know, lots of people like to claim Abraham as their father. The Muslims want to claim him and, uh, you know, and and so on. Uh, and, and thou shalt be a blessing, and I will bless them that bless thee and curseth thee that curseth thee. So there's a curse going to be upon anyone who curses them. And blessing is promised to those that bless Abraham and his seed. And the last one is, in thee shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Now that is a promise concerning Christ, coming of the seed of Abraham. So so there's a promise of land, prosperity, and of course, blessing and cursing. Uh, and you know, and so so these this was a covenant that God made with Abraham. There and I'm not going to take time to look at all these because you know we wouldn't we wouldn't get very far tonight, but there's what's called the Mosaic Covenant. In, uh, in Deuteronomy chapter uh, 28 or no, I'm sorry, Exodus chapter 19 and 20, of course the giving of the law and God makes a covenant with Israel that's not to the church, I don't care what Dan Horn says, but anyway uh has to do with the giving of the law, there's what's called the Palestinian covenant, promising again land And Deuteronomy 28 through 30, you can read all about that and then there's one that we need to understand or know about it, is the Davidic covenant and go to Go to Second uh, Samuel chapter seven. Second Samuel chapter seven. <clears throat> 2 Samuel seven, and this is called the Davidic covenant. Second Samuel seven, verse eight. You know, David's desire is to build a house for the for the Ark of the Covenant and for the Lord, and 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 uh, so. In verse 8 it says, Now therefore, so shalt thou say unto my servant David. So this, this is the prophet Gad, I believe, coming to him with this, this uh, uh, message. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, I took thee from the shoot, sheep coat, from following the sheep, to be ruler over my people Israel. And I was with thee, whithersoever thou wentest, and have cut off all thine enemies out of thy sight, have made thee a great name like the na- under the name of the great men that are in the earth. Moreover, I will appoint a place for my people Israel, and will plant them that they may dwell in the place of their own and move no more. Neither shall the children of wickedness afflict them any more as before time. And since the time that I have commanded judges to be over my people Israel and have caused thee to rest from all thine enemies. Also the Lord telleth thee that he will make thee an house. Now when you're talking about a house as a kingdom, you're talking about succession of kings. Making a house or a dynasty. We would, we would maybe call it a dynasty. That's what that refers to there. And when thy days be fulfilled, and thou shalt sleep with thy fathers, I will set up thy seed after thee, which shall proceed out of thy bowels, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name. Now, that's, that's referring to Solomon, which he did. And notice the, next, the rest of that verse, 13. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom. What's the next two words? Forever. Now, can that possibly be referring to Solomon? Verse 14, I will be his father. He shall be my son. Now, of course, this does refer to, 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 to Solomon. But verse 13 says, I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. Forever. Look at Matthew chapter 1, verse 1. The book of the generation of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. God made a promise to Abraham that in these shall all the nations of the earth be blessed. He made a promise to David that your son, I will establish his throne forever. And Matthew 1 says, the book of the generation of Jesus Christ, the son of David the son of Abraham. God is referring here by his spirit to those two covenants that he made. Isaiah 9, verse 6. Unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulders, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace, of the increase of His government and peace, there shall be no end. No end. Upon the throne of David and upon His kingdom to order it and to establish it with judgment and with justice from henceforth, even forever, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. Now this is, again, what we call the Davidic covenant that God promised that To David, of his seed, would one day sit on his throne in Jerusalem forever. We call it the thousand-year reign of Christ. Which is going to go then into eternity. He'll rule and reign forever. This hasn't happened yet. Now, unless you twist and change meanings of words or make an application that's not written there there's no other way to get around that it's going to happen it's going to happen now go to and here's and so but what the replacement theology and the covenant theologians say is okay but all these covenants are absolved into the new covenant which is described in Jeremiah chapter 31 so go to Jeremiah 31 Jeremiah 31 and verse 31 behold the days come saith the Lord that I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel oh wait a minute what did I just read he's going to make a new covenant but with who the house of Israel and with the house of Judah But see, covenant theologians say, Oh, oh, no, God doesn't mean Israel and God doesn't mean Judah. He means the church. They are the new Israel and they are the new Judah. I don't find any place in the Bible. I've read through this Bible more times than I am old. And I have yet to find where it plainly says that the church is Israel. In fact, Paul talks about three groups... In the New Testament, writing to the church at Corinth, he says, you know, "He made none offense to the Jew, or to the Gentile, or to the church of God." The Bible talks about all three, and there's some things that belong to the Jew that don't belong to the church. And there's some things belongs to the church churches that don't belong to the Jews. And somebody said, "You know, simply put, the churches are a heavenly people, the Jews are an earthly people, and the covenants that." "...of the Jews has to do with land and an earth, a kingdom on earth, which will be the thousand-year reign of Christ." But at the beginning, it says there, he's going to make a new covenant. And notice what it says, "...not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers, so Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, in the day that I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, so Moses and Aaron and all them, which my covenant they break, also I was a husband unto them, saith the Lord." But this shall be the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, saith the Lord. I will put my law into their inward parts and write it in their hearts, and will be their God, and they shall be my people. So they are going to, you know, they are going to be my people again. Let's see replacement theology again says that God hath cast away his people. And of course Paul said, God forbid. God forbid. Uh Romans 11 and 11, 12 we read that that Israel's fall was not permanent but will end in their fullness we read that just a little while ago and and so you know uh I got a lot of stuff here but but, but the bible and and has always and the apostles and the Lord Jesus Christ have always interpreted prophecy literally. For example, in Acts chapter 3, verses 18 through 21, Peter is preaching to the people, Acts 3, 18 through 21, and he says this, Those things which God before had showed by the mouth of all his prophets that Christ should suffer, he has so fulfilled. Repent ye therefore and be converted that your sins may be blotted out when the times of refreshing shall come from the presence of the Lord. And he shall send Jesus Christ, which before was preached unto you, whom the heaven must receive until the, until the time of restitution of all things, which God has spoken in the mouth of all his holy prophets since the world began. So there's going to be a time of restitution, but until that time, he says, you need to believe, you repent, and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. So Peter preached, there was a literal fulfillment of Christ's first coming to suffer for man's sin, so there will be a literal fulfillment of prophecy pertaining Israel's conversion and the kingdom. You know, the, the heavens will receive receive Christ until he returns. So there's going to be one point sometime which we believe to be near, a restitution of all things. In fact, in Acts chapter 1, you notice, even the disciples asked Jesus about this, and he didn't say, oh, it's not going to happen. Look at, look at Acts chapter 1, in verse 4. It says, And being assembled together with them, commanded them they should not depart from Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of the Father, which saith he, ye have heard of me. So he's telling them to wait for the, the Spirit of God to indwell them. For John truly baptized with water, but ye shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost not many days hence. When they therefore were come together, they asked him, saying, Lord will at this time restore the kingdom again to Israel. Now what's his answer? And he said to them, it is not for you to know the times or the seasons, which the Father hath put in his own power. He didn't say, oh, you are the new Israel. He said, it's not for you to know when that's going to happen. What's he implying? That it is going to happen. You know, they were asking about the restoration of, of the kingdom to Israel. And he's implying here it is going to happen. It's just not, you're not gonna know. It's that that's the Father knows that only. It's not for you to know it. The responsibility for you is right now to preach the gospel. So so even the apostles and and the Lord Jesus Christ. Took these literally. You know, all the prophecies concerning Christ's first coming were literally fulfilled. You think about all the prophecies concerning his crucifixion in the Psalms, his words on the cross, you know, how the people reviled him, there was none to help him, and, you know, and they did not break his bones, and they stared at him. These are all in Psalm 22, all fulfilled just as as it was said they would. There's nothing allegorical about it. Uh, In fact, Christ rebuked his disciples in Luke 24 for not believing the prophecies in their literal interpretation. And so, uh, these things are to be taken literal. Uh, Brother Cloud said this, quote: "...practical necessity demands the literal interpretation of prophecy. To interpret Bible prophecy allegorically destroys the absolute sense of God's word. If the prophecy does not mean what it says there is no way to know what it does mean. Consider Revelation 20, verses 1 through 3. If this passage does not mean that the literal angel binds a literal devil in a literal bottomless pit for a thousand years, we have no way of knowing for sure what it does mean. If it does not mean what it says, it could mean anything that any interpreter says it means. Unquote. And see, the people that teach these things guess who they appeal to for authority John Calvin Augustine church fathers they don't appeal to scripture because if you, have, if you appeal to scripture there's crimes for say uh, the bible doesn't say that no they appeal to men um Paul E. Tan said this, quote, "...whether it is interpretation of prophecy or non-prophecy. Once literality is sacrificed, it's like starting down an incline. Momentum st- speedily gathers as one succumbs to the temptation to spiritualize one passage after another. Moreover, under the method of spiritualization, there is no way for an interpreter to test the validity of his conclusions, except to compare his works with that of a colleague." Instead of a more sure word of prophecy, Second Peter 1:19, interpreters end up with an unsure word and chaos in the ranks. Unquote. So again, so if you're going to allegorize the scripture, who's to say that you're right and he's wrong or who do you who's the authority? It's a man. It's a man. J. Vernon McGee. He was trained in allegorical method of interpretation. He realized the young man was foolishness. And he said this, quote, I went to a seminary that was all millennial. That teaches that there's no millennium. And and he said this, where they attempted to fit the rest of Revelation into the historical or all millennial viewpoint. It became ridiculous and even comical at times. For example, when we reached the place where the scripture says that Satan was put in the bottom of the pit, we were taught that he had already taken that had already taken place. I asked the professor, quote, How do you explain the satanic activity that is taking place today? He replied, Satan is chained. But he has a long chain on him. It is like when you take a cow out into a vacant lot and tether her out on a long rope and let her graze. That was his explanation. And my comment was, Doctor, I think Satan's got a pretty long chain on him then because he's able to graze all over the world today. It really makes some scriptures seem rather ridiculous when you follow the allegorical viewpoint. And this is what covenant theology does. So, let's look at some other scriptures to support what we believe is literal interpretation of of uh, <clears throat> of this, you know, we looked at David's co- the Davidic covenant. You know, he promised him a house and a throne to be established forever. Uh, of course, this speaks of Christ. Uh, <clears throat> Isaiah nine six and seven refer to that. Uh, we also Amos nine eleven through fifteen, uh, in, in uh, uh, Hosea, Hosea chapter three verses 4 and 5. Right after Daniel, Hosea, chapter 3, verses 4 and 5 says, For the children of Israel shall abide many days without a king. You know, they've been without a king since Zedekiah? Was Zedekiah the last one? I think Zedekiah. So they've been without a king since Zedekiah. So they're going to be many days without a king, and without a prince, and without a sacrifice. They've been without a sacrifice since Christ. Without an image, without an ephod, and without a teraphim. And afterward, shall the children of Israel return, and seek the Lord their God, and David their king, and shall fear the Lord and his goodness in the latter days. So the prophet here is saying that one of these days Israel is going to return. And they're going to seek the Lord their God. Uh, We find this described for us and go to Zechariah chapter 12. Zechariah chapter 12. Zechariah chapter 12. um, Let's start in verse 4. In that day, saith the Lord, I will smite every horse with astonishment and his rider with madness. Uh, Well, maybe we need to back up a little context here. Let's go to verse 1. Then the burden of the word of the Lord for Israel, saith the Lord, which stretcheth forth the heavens and layeth the foundation of the earth and formeth the spirit of man within him. Behold, I will make Jerusalem a cup of trembling unto all people round about, when they shall be in a siege both against Judah and against Jerusalem. So we're talking here about the what we often refer to as the Battle of Armageddon, where all the nations you know Jerusalem is a burdensome stone unto all the people of the earth. you know if there 's one people that the world hates more than anything else, anyone else it 's israel it 's Israel, and it says they 're going to be a, a cup of trembling or burden to all of all people and so and, and so they 're going to be uh, uh, they're gonna burden themselves with it, and it says they shall be cut it shall be cut in pieces, through though all the people of the earth be gathered together against it. In that day, it saith Lord, I will smite every horse with astonishment, and his rider with madness. I will open mine eyes upon the house of Judah, will smite every horse of the people with blindness. And the governors of Judah shall say in the heart, The habitants of Jerusalem shall be my strength, in the Lord of hosts, their God. In that day will I make The governors of Judah, like an hearth of fire among the wood, like a touch of fire in a sheep, and they shall devour all the people round about, on the right hand and on the left, and Jerusalem shall be inhabited again in her own place, even in Jerusalem. The Lord also shall save the tents of Judah first, that the glory of the house of David, house of David, and the glory of the inhabitants of Jerusalem, do not magnify themselves against Judah. In that day shall the Lord defend the inhabitants of Judah, and he was feeble among them as... At that day shall be as David, the house of David shall be as God and the angel of the Lord before them. It shall come to pass in that day that I will seek to destroy all the nations that come against Jerusalem. I will pour out upon the house of David, upon the inhabitants of Jerusalem, the spirit of grace and of supplications. And they shall look upon me whom they have pierced. This is the one that's going to destroy all these nations. They shall look upon me whom they have pierced they shall mourn for him, as one mourneth for his only son. shall be in bitterness for him, as one that is in bitterness for his firstborn. And that day shall there be a great mourning in Jerusalem, as the mourning of a had ribbon in the valley of Megiddo. And the land shall mourn, every family apart, and the family of the house of David apart, and their wives apart, the family of the house of Nathan apart, and their wives apart, family of the house of Levi, and their wives apart, family of Shimei and their, apart, and their wives apart. All the families that remain, that remain... That's the key word there, remain. Every family apart and their wives apart. In that day shall there be a fountain open to the house of David and to the inhabitants of Jerusalem for sin and for uncleanness. And it shall come to pass, in that day saith the Lord of hosts, that I will cut off the names of the idols out of the land. They shall no more be remembered. And also I will cause the prophets and the unclean spirit to pass out of the land. It shall come to pass that when any shall yet prophesy, then his father and his mother that begot him shall say unto him, Thou shalt not live. For thou speakest lies in the name of the Lord. And in his father and his mother that begot him shall thrust him through when he prophesied. They're not going to tolerate false prophets anymore. And it shall come to pass in that day that the prophets shall be ashamed every one of his vision when he hath prophesied. Neither shall they wear a rough garment to deceive. But I shall say, I'm no more prophet. I'm an husbandman, for man taught me to keep cattle from my youth. And one shall say unto him, What are these wounds in mine hands? Then shall he answer, Those with which I was wounded in the house of my friends. Awake, O sword, against my shepherd and against the man that is my fellow. Saith the Lord of hosts, smite the shepherd and the sheep shall be scattered. And I will turn mine hand upon the little ones. And it shall come to pass. And all the land, saith the Lord, two parts therein shall be cut off and die. But the third shall be left therein. And I will bring the third part through the fire and refine them as silver is refined, and will try them as gold is tried, and they shall call on my name, and I will hear them. I will say, It is my people, and they shall say, The Lord is my God. So, God is going to purify Israel. He's going to redeem Israel. You know, we read in Romans 11 that all Israel shall be saved. In other words, those who turn to the Lord That is what a true Israelite is. It's one who turns to the Lord. And all of them that turn to the Lord will be saved. Now two-thirds of them are going to die because they don't turn. Go over to uh, another passage. uh, um, Daniel chapter 9. Daniel chapter 9. And verse 24. Daniel 9.24 says 70 weeks are determined upon thy people and upon thy holy city. Now Daniel's a Jew. And God says to Daniel in this vision there's 70 weeks determined upon thy people and upon thy holy city. Now so he's talking about the Jewish people and he's talking about Jerusalem. And he says for this purpose now, the 70, and we'll read a little bit here. It's to finish the transgression, to make an end of sins, and to make reconciliation for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up the vision and prophecy, and to anoint the most holy. So, so he's going to finish, he's going to, you know, and make an end. It, it, they're going to make an end. He's going to bring Israel to a place where they repent of their transgressions against God. And their sins against God are going to come to an end. And they're going to put their trust in, the, in their Messiah. And this you know, kind of goes, coincides with what you read in Zechariah 12 and 13 where it says they're going to look on him whom they pierced. They're going to mourn for him. Uh, they're going to be in, in mourning. That speaks of repentance, humbleness and repentance. And it says he's going to make reconciliation for iniquity. So they're going to be reconciled to their God through the Lord Jesus Christ. It's going to bring in everlasting righteousness. It's going to to complete the vision and the prophecy and it's going to anoint the most holy, which is a reference to Christ. So this is all yet to happen. It's all yet to happen. Um, So... You know, these are the things that the Bible speaks of literally. Now, the new covenant let's go back to Jeremiah, and this is this is what the covenant theologians use is this is their their main text passage, Jeremiah thirty one to thirty three, that they say teaches that God replaces Israel with the church. But again, if you, if you hold to a literal interpretation of Scripture, you, know, you have to force interpretations on it to make it say otherwise. Um, and I'm not going to read all this for the sake of time. But it is made with a nation of Israel. Verse 31 again. Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, that I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. It promises the following things. No wonder there's going to be a new covenant promises the regathering of Israel. Look at verse 6 through verse 11. It says... For there shall be a day that the watchman upon the Mount Ephraim shall cry, Arise ye, and let us go up to Zion unto the Lord our God. For thus saith the Lord, Sing with gladness for Jacob, and shout among the chiefs of the nations, Publish ye, praise ye, and say, O Lord, save thy people, the remnant of Israel. Behold, I will bring them from the north country, and gather them from the coast of the earth, and with them the blind, and the lame, and the women with child, and her faileth with child together. A great company shall return thither, They shall come with weeping and with supplications will I lead them and I will cause them to walk by the rivers of water in a straight way wherein they shall not stumble. For I am a father to Israel and Ephraim is my firstborn. Hear the word of the Lord all you nations declare it in the isles afar off and say, He that scattereth Israel will gather him and keep him as a shepherd doth his flock. For the Lord hath redeemed Jacob and ransomed him from the hand of him that was stronger than he. So, he talks about how they're going to be regathered from among the nations. It promises blessings upon the land. Verses 4 and 5 says again, I will build thee, and thou shalt be built, O virgin of Israel. Thou shalt again be adorned with thy tabrets, shall go forth in the dances of them that make merry. Thou shalt yet plant vines upon the mountains of Samaria. The planters shall plant and shall eat them as common things." Uh, It talks about it promises, the New Covenant promises conversion of the people and cleansing from sin. Verses 33 and 34. But this shall be thy covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, saith the Lord. Put my law in their inward parts and write it in their hearts and will be their God and they shall be my people. And they shall teach no more every man his neighbor and every man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me from the least of them unto the greatest of them, saith the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity and will remember their sin no more. Uh, it also refers to the establishment, or reestablishment of Israel's kingdom and possession of the land, verses 35 through 37. Thus saith the Lord, which giveth the sun for the light by day, and the ordinance of the moon and the stars for the light by night, which divideth the sea when the waves thereof roar. The Lord of hosts is his name. If those ordinances depart from before me, saith the Lord, then shall the seed of Israel also cease from being a nation before me forever. Okay. Notice some things he says here. If the ordinances of the moon and the stars and the light of the day and night can cease, then Israel will cease to be a nation. But thus saith the Lord, if the heathen above can be measured, and the foundations there are searched out beneath, I will also cast off all the seed forever for all that they have done, saith the Lord. Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, that the city shall be built to the Lord from the Tower of Hananel unto the gate of the corner. So, this covenant is unconditional. You there is no way to make this fit to a church. Or to the churches. Without doing violence to plain Bible language. And the clear promises of God to Israel. In fact, you know, notice one of the things he says here in verses 16 uh, through 26. In chapter 33, go to chapter 33, verse 16. In those days shall Judah be saved, and Jerusalem shall dwell safely. And this is the name wherewith she'll be called, the Lord, our righteousness. Well, thus saith the Lord, David shall never want a man to sit upon the throne of the house of Israel. Neither shall the priests, the Levites, want a man before me to offer burnt offerings and to kindle meat offerings and do sacrifice. There is going to be a temple built. There will either be, be one built during the tribulation, I think it will be destroyed by the Antichrist, there will be another one built during the millennium, Ezekiel talks about it in Ezekiel's chapters 40 to 44. During the millennium, there will be a temple, a millennial temple, which Jesus will, will rule from. Anyway, and it says, And the word of the Lord came unto Jeremiah, verse 19, saying, Thus saith the Lord, If you can break my covenant of the day and my covenant of the night, and that there should be no day, not be day and night in their season, then may also my covenant be broken with David, my servant that he should not have a son to reign upon his throne, and with the Levites, the priests, my ministers. As the host of heaven cannot be numbered, neither the sand of the sea measure, so will I multiply the seed of David, my servant, and the Levites that minister unto me. Moreover the Lord of the came unto me, Jeremiah, saying, Considerest thou not what this people hath spoken, saying, The two families which the Lord hath chosen, he hath even cast them off? Thus they have despised my people." that they should be no more a nation before them. And thus saith the Lord, If my covenant be not with day and night, if I be not appointed the ordinance of heaven and earth, then will I cast away the seed of Jacob and David my servant, so that I will not take any of his seed to be rulers over the seed of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. For I will cause their captivity to return, and have mercy upon them. So he says, Considerest now not what thou sayest. This people have spoken, saying, The two families which the Lord hath chosen... He hath even cast them off. Thus you have despised my people, that they should no more be a nation. You know, that's a serious statement. But you know, this is what, exactly what replacement theology does. It says that Israel is no more his people. You know, I thought about that a little bit. And those that, he says, those that do that despise my people. They despise my people. It's to, it's to despise his word. You know, Catholic Church is the source, main source of this teaching. Revelation 18 describes the destruction of Mystery Babylon. That's false religion. False religion. And it will be destroyed. And burned. And, you know, and I thought, ye that have attempted usurp the throne of Israel with your pontiff are going to be destroyed and never be built again. You see, to deny that Israel will be destroyed is to uh, deny many, many plain passages of scripture. Israel is not the church and the church is not Israel. They are two different things. Two different things. And and so this, this philosophy that the church is replaced Israel is really it's heresy. You know, again, in Acts 1, Jesus taught that the kingdom will be destroyed. He just said it's not for you to know when. Not for you to know when. Israel will one day be restored. You know, do I believe we should support Israel? No. We shouldn't support it financially. Now, as a nation, I think we should. You know, there are some churches who think we need need to send money to Israel. We need to help Israel. No, they're in sin. They're in sin. We ought to pray for them. The Bible says, pray for the peace of Jerusalem. They shall prosper that love thee. You know, they are God's chosen people, and they will be brought back again. They will be part of the kingdom, those that are restored. And we should pray for their conversion. But just as we wouldn't help or wouldn't support and give money to unbelievers to live in their sin, we ought not to give money to Israel. You know, John Hagee was one of those who raised money, millions of dollars for Israel. But we shouldn't hate Israel either. Paul said, I have a continuous sorrow in my heart. I could wish that I was accursed for my brethren, my kinsmen, according to the flesh. You know, God still loves Israel. Though they are in rebellion against Him, He still loves them. Just as He loves every sinner that needs to repent, to be saved. But we are in this dispensation, or this period of time, known as the, the age of the churches. But and that'll end with the rapture of the believers. And the time of Jacob's troubles, the time when God begins to purge Israel, will start to take shape. And that's, of course, described for us in Revelations chapter 6 through 19. But we are not Israel. We're a church. We're a church. And uh, we can't claim the promises that God gave to Israel. Our promises are the promise of a home in heaven inheritance in heaven that fadeth not away it's not earthly it's heavenly so don't confuse the two